grab your Bibles and uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're continuing. Matter of fact, we got two weeks left on our What Lies Beneath uh, sermon series. I want to encourage you uh, as we do this. One of the, the goals has been that we're able to deal with, uh, number one, I would say the mental and emotional um, struggles and difficulties that we've all faced in some way, shape, or form uh, throughout our life. I think it's important for us to realize that those things and, and what happens in our lives is a result, uh, you know, maybe sometimes from other people as a result of other people's actions, but also it can be just a result of the way we were, uh, we were raised or the way we grew up. And I believe it also plays out and affects every relationship we have. It can affect your relationship with your husband, your wife, your children. It can affect relationships with coworkers. It can reflect or affect the relationships you have with other people within the church. As a matter of fact, I want to ask this question. And uh, if you would just kind of humor me, how many of you would say that you have dealt with a significant grief issue in the last five years? where you've had some massive amounts of grief. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be a diagnosis uh, that you didn't get, a medical diagnosis that you weren't looking for. It could be uh, a breakup of a marriage. It could be a broken or, a, or a, ch- a son or daughter walking away, not wanting to have that relationship with you. It could be conflict. It could be all kinds of things. It could be a loss of a job. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say, as I really have thought over this last year, I would venture to say that we have more people grieving currently now as a result of not just, think about this, not just death and the loss of a loved one, but the loss of friends, the loss of family members. It could be over race, it could be politics, it could be, it could be everything that we look at. There are significant issues going on in our lives, in the lives of people around us, that are a result of grief. As a matter of fact, grief is something that all of us deal with at some point in time. As a matter of fact, up until about two and a half years ago, um, I would sit back and say, or really more seven and a half years ago, sorry, I would sit back and say that major amounts of grief hadn't affected me. In other words, I hadn't really lost people who were super close to me. I'd, I'd lost my grandfathers and stuff, and I don't mean to make that sound negative. But what I felt was, as I got older, when Sarah's dad passed away, then it was my grandma, then it was my dad, then it was my other grandma, all of a sudden it was just this, it's a massive burden of grief. And here's what I want you to understand in this, that, that in the midst of grief, we can grow and we can become better, or we cannot and become bitter, right? In the midst of grief, I can grow and become better, or I cannot grow and I can become bitter. And I believe how that we go or how we go through grief, how we deal with grief, how, how we handle grief, how we grow through grief can affect us in a great way. As a matter of fact, grief can come over the effects of somebody. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about it this way. It may not just be the grief of losing a loved one. It could be grief over watching a loved one suffer through a terminal illness. It could be the grief over the effects of sin in the life of somebody you know, and the effects of their sin is playing out on you. So there's this grief, there's this anguish that comes over it. It could be an alcohol addiction. It could be marital unfaithfulness. It could be grief that comes through our own sin. 
As a matter of fact, I believe that one of the things that we have to learn to do is that when we sin, we learn to grieve. We learn to grieve over the process and the, the repentance, number one, that we have to do, but then we have to grieve over the fact that we walked in, in disobedience. And so we learn to grieve and to grieve well. And so I think there's something to be said on, on, on this idea. First Corinthians, or sorry, First Thessalonians chapter four, starting in verse 13, if we want to grow and to understand what lies beneath, and we want to grow in our emotional and mental abilities so that we can be spiritually mature, then I think that we have to learn to grieve in a biblical way. Matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says this, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Matter of fact, when we grieve, we can grieve in a way. When we grieve, we grieve with hope. We grieve with the hope that Jesus is the provider, the promise keeper, the one who is going to take care of everything that goes on. In, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be what? Comforted. All right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I believe wholeheartedly, we talked about last week about breaking free from the past, but being broken by God so he can use us in a great way. But I believe that one of the things that we have to begin to do is to look deep down inside and begin to learn to grow through grief. And here's the struggle in the American world, in the American ideology oftentimes. The idea is this, either A, ignore your feelings and your emotions, you know, there's this old statement, the idea, oh, you know, men don't cry. Have you read scripture? I mean, let's be honest with you. Let's, let's be honest with each other. Lazarus dies. And what happened? Jesus wept. And yet, in some way, shape, or form, our American ideology is this. A real man doesn't cry. A real man doesn't show emotions. A real man doesn't grieve. And the problem is, when we don't grieve, what we do is we bottle up everything and we hold it inside. And remember, we're talking about this idea of 10% of what everybody sees only is a result of the 90% that's below the water. And if we don't deal with what's below the water like the iceberg, then we're never going to grow to be everything that God created us to be. And so here's what oftentimes happens. When somebody passes away or we go through a grieving stage in our life, we suppress it. What are we doing? We're pushing it under the water. We hide it. We don't deal with it. We don't want anybody else to know our weaknesses, our struggles, our flaws, our difficulties, our depression, our, our doubt, our discouragement. We shove those things down in there. We're like, well, I'll take care of this myself. But the reality is we don't. We don't take care of it. We don't allow the Lord to take care of it. We don't allow the Lord to walk us through it. We just try and suppress it. We're gonna hide it. And the problem is when we hide it, we set ourselves up for failure. Listen again what he says in verse 13. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. See, here's what I want us to understand. And this is talking about death and losing a loved one. But when we grieve a process, maybe it's losing a significant other to death, but maybe it's losing a significant other because they've chose to walk away. 
Maybe it's the fact that they've given up, they've quit. And as they do that, listen, we begin to grieve or we begin to mourn in this process, but the problem is we do it in an ignorant way. We do it in the American way. We do it in the way that's like, fine, you're gonna do that, I'm gonna treat you worse. And the problem is, all you do is set yourself up for failure when it comes to dealing with your emotions. And remember what we said, you cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. Those are two contradictory statements. When you are spiritually mature, you are emotionally mature. Does that mean you're gonna not sin? No. But it does mean that you are now an emotionally mature person who is moving forward and realizes that I put my emotions under the authority of God's word and I walk in obedience to that. See, here's what I want you to understand and this is what I think we all need to know. When you're grieving... It's okay not to be okay. Have you ever been freed up for somebody to just say, it's okay to not be okay? When I'm grieving over the loss of a loved one, it's okay not to be okay. You know, I I share this statement. When my dad passed away, and it's coming up on two years ago in January, when my dad passed away, I tell everybody that my grieving process, honestly, was the two years before. To watch my dad suffer, to watch my dad's body deteriorate, to watch the strongest man I had ever known, a guy who worked on diesel semi-trucks for 42 years, a guy who was in Vietnam in the Marines, a guy who would tell stories about stuff in Vietnam, and I'd look and go, how did you survive? And I watched my dad fade, and my grieving, as a matter of fact, I, my, I, I can tell you, I remember at one point, This is prior to my dad even passing away. I remember turning to my wife and I just broke. I lost it in our kitchen. Completely lost it. I was like, I don't don't even know what to do. I was mad. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was mad. I mean, get it this way. I was mad at the doctors. I was so ticked at the doctors. If they would have just done all of these things, And what I want you to understand is that when you're grieving, it's okay not to be okay. We need to work through the feelings of grief because, listen, if you're numb, if you suppress the feelings, you're going to suppress other feelings. And when I suppress the feelings of grief, I'm going to suppress the feelings of love and grace and forgiveness and compassion. And when I let those things, the grief, rise to the top and I deal with the grief and I let the Lord walk me through the grieving process, now I can begin to heal. Now I can allow the Lord to comfort me. Now, listen, now I can grow. As a matter of fact, that brings me to today's statement. The, 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 the thing I want you to remember, if you remember it, anything else, I want you to remember this, that grieving allows us to grow through our feelings with Jesus, who carries our burdens, all right, when we can't carry them ourselves. Grieving allows me to grow in my feelings, through my feelings, and I grow with Jesus who carries my burdens, when I can't carry them myself. So I wanna give you three things that I believe that we can learn uh, through grief in this. Number one is this, grief shakes us to the core. Grief shakes us to the core. As I deal with grief, or as you and I deal with grief in this, you're gonna find out that it shakes us to the core. Matter of fact, no sooner can we do that than to look at the book of Job. 
If you go to the book of Job, Job chapter one, and I want you to understand what's going on. Job is a man who had to learn or who walked through or who dealt with great grief and great loss. Grief shakes us to the core. A matter of fact, if you know anything in Job chapter one, it says this, Job chapter one, verse one, it says this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. So here's the important thing for us to understand and know in order to grow, in order to deal with the 90% that's below the water, I have to know that grief is going to shake me to the core, but I can deal with grief in a right way. But I have to know this, that when I go through a storm or a trial and I deal with grief, that righteousness is not a hedge of protection. Please hear me out when I say this. Righteousness, in other words, you're right standing with God and you being blameless and upright does not mean that you're not going to face the storms and the trials of life of losing someone or going through the emotions of grieving, things like that. You have to understand and I have to understand that righteousness is not a hedge of protection. A matter of fact, all throughout scripture, if you notice this, everybody in some way, shape, or form, dealt with grief. Abraham lost Sarah. David killed Uriah. But David loses his son. One of his sons that you can read about, there was grief. Habakkuk grieved. Jeremiah grieved over the nation of Israel. All of these things play out. Paul grieves. I mean, we can play this out over and over and over again, and grief shakes us to the core. See, in one day, listen, Job was blameless and upright, but in one day, what does he lose? He doesn't lose just his financial state. If you read Job, Job chapter one, it says, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and they carried them off. And they put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who escapes. So he loses his, his oxen and his donkeys. While he was still speaking, this messenger, another messenger came and it says, the fire of God fell from the sky and it burned up the sheep and the servants and I'm the only one who escaped. Job loses all his livelihood. So in the midst of COVID, some people have lost income. Some people have lost jobs. Some people have faced difficulties and struggles. In the midst of this, Job loses his livelihood. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another messenger came. The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties. They swept down on your camels. They carried them off. There's more livelihood. Then it says they put the servants to the sword. So he loses all his servants. And then the worst of all, verse 18, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters who were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind, tornado type setting or circumstance comes in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they're all dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now listen to what happens to Job. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship. Grief shakes us to the core. Now, last I checked, and I'm not going to say this, but I don't know many people who have dealt with exactly what Job dealt with right here, right away. To deal with this kind of difficulty and struggle, this grief shakes Job to the core. And the beautiful thing about Job, if you have time, and I would encourage you to do time, I would read Job in one or two days, if you can read. Read the whole book. Because Job 
is shaken to the core. Job doubts, Job struggles, Job wrestles with God. And in grief, listen, in the grief of Job, in your grief and in my grief, in the grief of Job, I believe Satan desires for you to question, to doubt, and to walk away from God. Matter of fact, that's what oftentimes I deal with when I have to deal with funerals. Where was God in this? Why did God do this? If this is the way it's gonna be, I'm done. And listen, the beautiful thing about what takes place in Job is Job never does that. Job wrestles, Job deals with it, but while grief shakes us to the core, we have to work through it and allow others, listen, to walk through it with us, to allow others to help us in order that we can heal and to grow. Listen, this is what I love about about this whole thing. There are or there is no bad feelings in how we respond in the grieving process. Do you know there are like four main feelings? There's mad, there's sad, there's glad, and there's afraid. You're either mad, you're sad, you're glad, or afraid. Really, everything else stems from those things. And oftentimes when we go through the grieving process, we're afraid to deal with the feelings that are deep down inside that we're going through. So truth number one about grief is that grief is gonna shake us to the core. Truth number two, while others may judge your grief, I can tell you this wholeheartedly, you will feel alone. As you and I walk through a grief process, if you're going through these difficulties, if you're trying to deal with what lies beneath in the grieving and loss process, you're gonna feel alone. Some people may judge your grief. Others may be right there beside you, but you're going to feel alone. And how, how do I know that? What, what do we look at? If you look at Job chapter two, I love what happens. Job's friends come. It says in verse 11 of chapter two, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zohar, the Namathite, heard all about the troubles that had come upon Job, they sent out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. That's beautiful. As a matter of fact, I can stand back and I remember the day that we were holding my dad's funeral, I did not expect this, but Mike Moses, Pat Neal, and Greg Davison walked in the church where we were holding the, the setting. And I'll be honest with you, I was overcome. I was like, oh my gosh, I did not expect this. I didn't think about it. I didn't, I didn't you know, I didn't expect that type of thing. But that spoke volumes to know that people from our church were there. And listen, I know everybody was praying for me and I, this is not against anybody else who didn't come, please hear me out. It was just one of those things that was like, oh man. And it was so encouraging. So Job's friends, they get together on agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And here's what I love about Job's friends at this point. Now they do things wrong later, but at this point in verse 12, it says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And they began to weep aloud. In other words, they're mourning with him. They're going through the grief process with him and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads just as Job had done earlier. And then look at verse 13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights and no one said a word to him because they, they saw how great his suffering was. You know, in the midst of going through grief, there's always those people who go, well, God works all things for good. 
yeah, let me punch you in the face. Right? I mean, you're going through this grief process and somebody throws that out. Or God must have had a bigger plan for him. That's not comfort. Comfort is you sitting there being quiet. Hugging him, mourning with him, praying with him, standing by and letting them share their feelings, their fears, their struggles, their doubts, their discouragements, their fights, and walking through this process. And so while others may judge your grief, listen to me, you're gonna feel alone. And I believe, based upon Job chapter two, that we cannot allow, our church and other churches cannot allow people to go through the grieving process alone. That we have to stand by him, encourage him. As a matter of fact, if you knew anything about this, and you can look him up, uh, we did it a long time ago, but there are five stages of grief, depending on who you talk to. Some say seven. I saw as many as 12, which seems to me overarching. But when we were in school, we covered five stages of grief. Number one is denial, that we deny the reality of the situation. When my dad was diagnosed with cancer, I was like, this can't be real. I've never known somebody so close to me that's had cancer. I've had other people that I knew, but not somebody that was that influential and directly influencing in my life, in my family. And so the defense mechanism that immediately comes up is denial. It's got to be that. Number two is anger. That pain begins to reemerge, and we can become angry at others. Matter of fact, I noticed that when I was going through some of this. Sometimes I'd just lash out at other people. I'd be frustrated. I'd be angry at God. We feel guilty for being angry. And listen, as a result of feeling guilty for being angry, we get angrier because now we're mad at ourselves. And then beyond anger, there's this bargaining. This is what I was talking about. If, if, if only we had done something sooner. And I remember calling my mom and I'd be like, what the heck? I was ticked at the doctor because the first doctor, when they found the cancer in, uh, in his kidney, and they said it was encapsulated, didn't do chemo, didn't do radiation, didn't do anything like that. And I'm like, man, those cells were floating around in his body that whole time. They could have killed it then. What is that? It's me bargaining. As a matter of fact, what you hear later on in Job and Job's friends is this idea of bargaining. God, God or Job, you must have done something wrong. There's sin in your life, and so they begin to bargain. And it's this idea that ends up happening. And then as a result, usually there's depression. We slide into reality and begin to let depression run its course because the reality is set in. And then there's acceptance. And listen, acceptance, when you reach this point, this is huge because you begin to grow through this. Resisting acceptance, listen, only prolongs grieving, whereas when we walk through the grieving process, we allow the Lord to heal us. All throughout the book of Job, we see his friends give bad advice. They started off great, and then they begin to give bad advice. His wife, in her own grief, encourages him to what? Curse God and die. Why don't you just curse God and die? Matter of fact, maybe you've been in a grief process where you'd say, I've had friends tell me that. And the whole time, Job is wrestling with God and waiting on God in the midst of the confusion. So listen, as we jump back to 1 Thessalonians chapter four and we think through this, is that we don't deal with grief in an ignorant way. He says that specifically. We do not want you to be ignorant as you go through this grief process or to grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. And here's the truth that I want you on number three and I wanna really focus in on this last little bit. Don't lose hope 
but cling to the promises of God. I know we did the promises of God sermon series not too long ago, but I want you to understand what he's saying, that we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope, but rather we grieve with hope. Why? Because we have great hope. Listen to verse 14 in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, we don't lose hope, but rather we cling to the promises of God. What is the promise? That those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in this earthly life, will be brought back to life with Jesus. Matter of fact, if you know anything about the second coming, which is really what this is about, the second coming of Jesus Christ coming back, is that those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Now, I jokingly said this a long time ago, but I want you to think about this, because I told my wife I was going to be buried at sea. And I think this would be crazy. And I think I'm pretty sure I've said this one time before, maybe a couple times before. But I said, I wanted to be buried at sea so that when Jesus comes back and my body comes flying up out of the ocean, that that dude that's running a ship across the ocean that doesn't know Jesus is going to all of a sudden see this body come flying up out of the water and maybe at some point in time would be like, oh Lord, what the heck is going on? I need Jesus. And I know I joke about that, but I want you to think about this. It says that those who are dead in Christ will rise first. They will be caught up with Jesus first. And then those who are alive will be caught up with him. And so I don't lose hope, but rather I cling to the promises of God. See, all of us have limits in our lives and many of those can be realized when we see that we have little control, listen, little control, if anything should have pointed out to you this year is that you and I have little control over our lives. You really want to get down to it. You have little control over your life. Whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a result of somebody lashing out or, or, or reaching out in violence, or even politics, to a certain extent, you and I have little control over our lives. And what I would say is bigger picture, you should realize that God has control over your life and you have little control over it. That you and I cannot control everything that goes on. We have limits. And so listen, I would say that people, listen, are grieving over what has happened over the last nine months. I believe that believers are grieving over what has happened over the last nine months. I believe that pastors are grieving over what has happened over the last nine months. I believe that we as Christians can grieve, listen to me, grieve over what has happened over the last year in reality. As a matter of fact, I find it very ironic and yet at the same time very encouraging that a year ago we set a goal to pray for 10 baptisms, 100 people in attendance, and to double the number of life groups. What is Satan's goal in everything? To destroy the church. And listen to me, I believe wholeheartedly that some have allowed fear, struggle, difficulty to begin to undercut and undermine the truth of God's word. And our hope is clinging to everything else. The hope is clinging to a vaccine. The hope is clinging to unity. The hope is clinging to a political ideology. The hope is clinging to if we just get a certain person in 
as president, then things will be okay. When the truth of the matter is, that's not hope. That our hope only comes through Jesus Christ. And so hear me when I say this. We have to accept the limits that God places before us. And grieving loss biblically is important to spiritual maturity. Please hear me out. Grieving loss biblically is important to spiritual maturity. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 50. This is David, and he's talking about this. And I love Psalm 119. It's, it's so great. As a matter of fact, I would challenge you to go read it. But listen to what he says. My comfort in my suffering is this, that your promise preserves my life. Is that your prayer? That God, in the midst of my suffering, your promise preserves me that you would never leave me nor forsake me, that the promise of Jesus, that he would give me life and life more abundantly, no matter what I face, whether it's a terminal illness, the loss of a loved one, or losing my life, that your promise will preserve my life, that I will have eternity with you. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Job, as we looked at Job in Job chapter 42, now I just wanna flip over there as we do this, but Job chapter 42, the very end of Job, there is great encouragement for us in this. There is great hope in the promises of God. Job 42, starting in verse 10, and I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but it says this. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house and they comforted and consoled him. And listen, there is beauty in this that nowhere, verse 15, in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters and their father granted them an inheritance along with his children. And after this, listen, Job lived 140 years and he saw his children and their children the fourth generation. Listen, verse 12 says this, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. And what I want you to know is this, that when we grieve, not as those who are ignorant, who have no hope, but when we grieve with great hope, that the Lord wants to bless the latter part of your life. That when we deal with this in a righteous way, when we deal with this in a right way, in a God-fearing biblical way, when we grieve, when we struggle, when we walk through those difficulties, when we open up our heart to allow God to fill the missing pieces with himself, then we can heal in our grief. But oftentimes we're not willing to open up and when we're not willing to open up and we're not willing to allow God to fill the missing pieces with himself, then we try and fill them with everything else. And that's not the hope that he promises. And so he's talking about this, don't lose hope, but rather to cling to the promise. Why? Because your promise, Lord, preserves my life. And so my question today would just be, to you to do this? Have you grieved in a way? Listen, have you grieved in a way? Maybe, maybe you're, you haven't dealt with some grief in a while or maybe you had grief in the past but you don't feel like you've dealt with it properly. Have you grieved in a way that allows God to fill the emptiness in your heart or are you holding on to things? Because I believe that when we hold on to those things, we miss out on the second half that God wants to do. And that's what I was talking about when we get to the acceptance part. 
When I get to the acceptance part and I reach the point that I can understand that I no longer resist the grieving, but I walk through the grieving process and I allow the Lord to heal me, then I truly become or truly can grow into the emotionally healthy, spiritually mature person that I'm called to be. And so listen, I'm not just talking, and I hope you hear me out. I'm not just talking about grieving over the loss of a loved one. I'm talking about grieving over the sin that somebody else may have committed against you that has affected you. I'm talking about grieving over your own sin. I'm talking about grieving over the struggles and the difficulties you face. All of those things come to weight and come to burden or come to bear, and we have to deal with them in a proper biblical way because here, and here's the beauty of this, when we talk about not losing hope, here is the hope we have. Romans chapter eight, verses 38 and 39, and I know you've heard this before, and here's how I wanna close. For I am convinced, listen, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear that out? Let that resonate in your heart. Neither death nor life. So when I'm dealing with the loss of a loved one, neither their death nor their life can separate me from the love of God. You may try and allow it to separate you, but God's saying, listen, that death nor their life will separate you from the love that I have for you. Neither angels nor demons. So in other words, no matter what Satan's trying to do now in the midst of the world can separate you from the love of God. That's a promise that he makes. That whether it's COVID or politics or racial tensions or hate-filled things, that cannot separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Likewise, neither the present nor the future. Look, we're walking through a storm. Okay, we're walking through a storm. Do we all face storms? Yep. Is the future uncertain? Yep. And I'll be honest with you, and I talked about this some this morning, it worries me and bothers me some that people who claim to be Christians who have given up on the church so quick. This is a persecution. And I don't care what you say, what was going on in the political climate, what is going on with COVID is not political persecution. We could have it out. I've had it out with a couple pastors. I completely disagree with it. Because last I checked, Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, college sports, bars, restaurants, you name it. They're all under the same thing. Let's talk about persecution when it's only believers. Let's talk about persecution when they're saying, you can't meet. Let's talk about persecution when they say, no, deny Jesus or you're going to die. That's when we'll talk persecution. I don't believe COVID-19 at all in any way, shape, or form is persecution. I believe it's the beginning if you know anything about what Scripture says in Matthew 24, it says the beginning of birth pains it is just another step in the process as Jesus prepares his bride for when he comes back. So the question is, in order to be emotionally mature or spiritually mature, I have to learn to deal with my grief. And maybe it's past grief. Maybe it's grief that you need to go with or deal with. Maybe you're right now and you're saying, hey, this isn't a problem right now. 
But I want us all to know that at some point in time, that as we grieve and we go through this grieving process, that we can heal in that process because God wants to heal you. God wants to walk with you. God promises you. He gives us the hope. And so we don't have to be people who have no hope. We don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. You know, the greatest comfort for me, and I stand by this wholeheartedly, and I told you I grieved when my dad's body was taken out of, our, out of my mom and dad's house. It was like a huge weight was lifted. And don't get me wrong, I cried. There are still moments in issues and times where I'll tear up. This week, twice on separate occasions, the after song, Well Done, came on, which we played at his funeral. It was a song that just reminded me of my father, how he was obedient to God. He served God. He served the church. He loved the church. He gave sacrificially to church. He led out. He discipled. He did those things like that. And all I could think is every time I hear that Well Done song is I think of my dad. And twice, I haven't heard it in forever, and twice this week I heard it. It was like, man, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? Here I am prepping this grief sermon, and I'll <laughs> get the song popping up twice. But what I can tell you is this. It's never easy. But the Lord can bring comfort to the darkest times, to the most difficult of situations, when you allow him or when you grieve in a way that leaves the door open for him to work and letting others invest in you and love you and encourage you during that time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can grieve with great hope knowing that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus forgives us our sins, that Jesus can heal us of any and all unrighteousness, that in the midst of grief, in the midst of losing a loved one, that you want to heal us in the deepest and darkest crevices that we keep hidden. Lord, I pray that maybe there are some today that haven't dealt with grief in a great way. But God, I think about your text, the scripture that says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so God, maybe there's some that are going through grief now, maybe it's in the future. But God, may we go through the grief process and dealing with grief and mourning in a great way, in a way that allows you to fill us, that we would cast our cares and our burdens upon you because we know you will carry them. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.